I want to start this morning with a little audience participation. Okay, don't be nervous. I promise I won't embarrass anybody. Um, I'm going to play a little word association game this morning. Okay, so I'm going to say a word. If you have something to, to write with, you can write this down. Or just if you have a, a good memory, you can try to remember it. So I'm going to say a word. And then I want you to just write down the first word that pops into your mind in response to the word I say. So if I said the word chair, right, you might say legs, or you might say seat. Or if you're sick and twisted, you might say electric for chair or something. There's, there's one of those in every crowd. Um, so you know how it works. Uh, word association, right? Word one. By the way, don't try to be imaginative or cute. Or just the first word that pops into your brain. First word is David. David. Right? First word that popped into your mind when I said David. Second word is Jesus. Second word is Jesus. And the third word, and the last one, is Thomas. Thomas. Okay. Here's the audience participation part. Give me just, just say some of the things that you thought of or wrote down. When I said David, what'd you write down? Goliath. That's a good one. King. What was it? Me. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being the shining example of humility this morning, David. Just here to celebrate David Mullender. Happy Easter. Uh, okay, uh, how about Jesus? What'd you write down for Jesus? Savior, Christ, Messiah. Anything else? You didn't write down me for that one, did you? Okay, good. We're okay then. Okay. Now, just by show of hands, when I said the word Thomas, how many of you thought or wrote down some form of the word doubt? Look at that. Yeah. 2,000 years later, and this guy, Thomas the Disciple, his nickname is what? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Um, I'm not sure that's totally fair for the disciple Thomas, who is also called Didymus, which is the Greek word for twin. So when you see that come up, You'll know he was a twin brother. I'm sure he considered himself the good-looking one, as all twins do. But that's not in the Bible. I'm not sure that doubting Thomas is the way he deserves to be remembered. He doubted. But I don't think that... I'm sure that wasn't the, the overwhelming characteristic of his life. You know, Peter betrayed Jesus excuse me, denied Jesus three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. Nobody calls Peter denying Peter. James and John tried to weasel their way into the closest positions to Jesus in His kingdom. Nobody calls James wants to sit close to Jesus in the kingdom James, right? Nobody calls John a little too ambitious John. But Thomas gets hung with doubting Thomas. And it's not for no reason for sure. Here's the passage that is written 
and we're going to do several passages today or bounce around a little bit, but in John chapter 20, after Jesus has been crucified, uh, and so this is, we're going to pick up the story. Jesus was crucified on Friday night. He, he was buried Friday night, all day Saturday, nothing uh, happened in, our, in, in the story of the Gospels, and then we pick up the evening of Sunday night. Okay, so Jesus has been risen for a bit. Only not everyone knows. So John chapter 20, verse 19 begins this way. So when it was evening on that day, that first Easter Sunday, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, Jesus showed them both his hands and his side, the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I'm going to skip to verse 24 where we read, But Thomas, one of the twelve disciples, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to Thomas later, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands, see in his hands the imprints of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and unless I put my hand where that sword went into his side on the cross, I will not believe. After eight days, Jesus' disciples were again inside, and this time Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Verse 27. And Jesus said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. That's the Doubting Thomas story. That's where he got his nickname. And I want to vindicate Thomas a little bit this morning. I want you first to, to, to understand that I don't think that that deserves to be his lasting legacy. And the reason why is there's only really one other place where we read of Thomas saying anything in the Gospels, and it has to do with the story of Lazarus. Do you know the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? That took place in the Gospel of John. It took place not too long before uh, the, the, the cross, late in Jesus's life. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. His sisters Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus and his ministry. And the part we all remember, those of us who grew up in church and we knew felt bored Jesus in Sunday school, Jesus shows up after Lazarus has already been dead. He's been dead for parts of four days. And it was hot there. And Jesus said, tells somebody to roll the stone away from Lazarus' tomb. 
And I imagine everyone there having these horrified looks on their faces like, Jesus, you do not want to go in there, man. Everyone was thinking it. Lazarus' sister said what everyone was thinking. I love the way the King James translated. He stinketh, Lord. (laughs) You don't want to go in there. Bad things in there. But Jesus doesn't flinch and He just calls Lazarus to come out of there and and He does it. He's alive. They had to unwrap the linen wrapping so he can breathe normally. And he's alive. That's the part of the story of Lazarus everyone remembers. But there's an earlier part of the story. And that has to do with Thomas. Almost none of the disciples wanted to go to Lazarus' house that day. Did you know that? They didn't want to go. And I want to tell you, that story now. This is before Lazarus got sick, or at least before he died. Jesus was teaching in and around Jerusalem. This is late in his life. He's done all the miracles. He's walked on water. He's turned water into wine. He's healed scads of people. And people are starting to wonder if maybe this Jesus might be the promised Messiah. And so we pick up earlier in John's Gospel, John chapter 10. Then some of the Jewish leadership gathered around Jesus and they just flat out asked him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I love this verse. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And when Jesus said that, things got scary for the disciples. By this point in Jesus' life, the Jewish religious leaders have had it with Jesus. And when he says that last thing he said in, in, in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. He's claiming equality with God the Father. And you see their response. He claims to be God. And so again, the Jews picked up stones to stone Him. In my mind's eye, I... I see the disciples getting really scared. I mean, they were were the focus of a near riot. I mean, the, the, the Jewish leadership have the rocks in their hands that they want to kill Jesus with. And by this time, Jesus has already told them, they're going to kill me. I picture them being very relieved when as the story continues, though we won't read it, Jesus kind of sneaks away from that crowd. And He he leads the disciples east across the Jordan River into a, a land called Perea. Away from the Jews who want to stone Jesus to death. Now what does all of that have to do with Lazarus? And what does all this have to do with Thomas not deserving the nickname Doubting Thomas? Well, I'll tell you. When Jesus 
and the disciples got word that Lazarus was sick and dying, they were still safely across the river in Perea. And they get word that Lazarus is sick. And Lazarus lived in Bethany. And that doesn't mean much to us because we don't understand the geography, but Bethany's about this far from Jerusalem. Lazarus lives right next door to where the near stoning of Jesus had just happened. And so when they hear about Lazarus being sick and, and, and actually having died in John chapter 11, we pick up the story. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Let's go to Lazarus's house. And verse 8, the disciples freak out. They say, Rabbi, they were just trying to kill you there. We don't want to go there. Why would we want to go there? Are you crazy? And there was one disciple who wasn't scared to go to Judea. Guess which one? And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, boys. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there to heal him. I'm glad that he has died so that you may believe. So let's go to Lazarus's house. None of them want to go in verse 16. So Thomas called the twin or Didymus said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. That doesn't sound like something a doubting Thomas would say, does it? At that moment, there's only one disciple who has the courage to say, we're going to go wherever he leads, no matter what the risk is. Sounds like a man of great faith, doesn't it? Now, to be fair... Because Thomas believed that Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords and the Son of God and the most powerful man to ever walk the earth, I don't think Thomas believed anyone could ever beat up Jesus. Let's go with him. We'll see if they can beat it like our, my dad can beat up your dad. Remember that when you were little? Our Lord can beat up their Lord. We don't have anything to worry about. And if they kill him... They just well kill us too because we don't have anything to live for anyway. That's Thomas's sentiment. That's Thomas's courage. That's Thomas's faith for following Jesus. So what happens? How does a guy go from being this Thomas to being doubting Thomas? Thomas did doubt. We read it already. What happened, a model of it hangs on the west wall of our church. The cross is what happened. The cross is what turned Thomas from, from this man of courage to a man of, of doubt. We've read the story. You know the story. Jesus executed on a Friday. 
Nothing happens that we read about on Saturday. By Sunday morning, rumors start to float around that Jesus didn't stay dead. It starts with Mary Magdalene and some women who went with her to the tomb. And then Peter later said that he saw the Lord. There were a couple of disciples over by Emmaus that said they invite Jesus came into our house. And then Jesus shows up in that room with the disciples and Thomas isn't there. I want to, I want to do a little what's called eisegesis. I want to re, usually we do exegesis where I explain what the Bible says, pull what's in there out. I want to read into the text just a little bit because Thomas is human. I want to take a stab at guessing why Thomas wasn't with everyone else on that first Easter Sunday. He's the only one that wasn't there. Thomas, this man of great courage, who says, I will follow Jesus anywhere, but I don't think he really thought anybody could ever beat up Jesus, just saw Jesus get, take the worst beating anyone could ever take. So I'm getting humiliated. He understands he was mocked, he was spat upon, and he was be- beaten beyond recognition. You know what that will do to your idea that he's the toughest, baddest guy who ever lived? That'll that'll shake that idea up just a little bit. Thomas had seen such power come out of Jesus to walk on water, to turn water into wine, to heal, to cast out demons. But nobody ever looked weaker than Jesus looked Nobody ever looked more powerless than Jesus looked on Good Friday. And I think Thomas feels just hurt and crushed crushed and disillusioned. I think he feels betrayed by God. Have you ever felt real pain, emotional pain? Have you ever felt betrayed by someone? Have you ever felt like the rug of your world was pulled out from underneath you? Have you ever felt just alone, like you had nothing left to live for? That was Thomas on Good Friday. And because he's a human being, I'm confident to say I know what Thomas did when he felt that kind of pain, because I've done it, and so have you. Here's what we do. When when we're confronted, when we're hurt in a very real way, what we do is we build a wall around our hearts to try and protect ourselves from a future similar kind of pain. So here's Thomas. I believed in Jesus. I believed He was the Son of God. I believed He was going to reign as the most powerful king who ever lived. And that rug got yanked out from under me. I must have been been wrong. So here's what Thomas does. If my love for Jesus and my faith in Jesus led to that kind of pain, left me vulnerable enough for this kind of hurt, I know how to fix that. I'm not going to care about anything like I cared about that again. 
I'm not going to believe in anything. I'm not going to love anyone the way I love Jesus. Because you can't hurt me if I don't care. Ever felt that? That's Thomas. Away from the disciples. Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I think he stays away until he gets his wall built. He doesn't want to see his friends until he's calloused over his heart. So he goes back to, uh, to look up his friends who, by the way, they didn't believe the first reports either. This quote on the screen comes from the Gospel of Luke. When the first eyewitnesses of Jesus return to the disciples in that one house and they say, He's alive. We saw Him. Luke tells us they, that's the other disciples, they did not believe the women either because their words sounded to them like nonsense. You know, Thomas wasn't a bigger doubter than the rest of the disciples. He was just late. He just wasn't there. He was out building that wall around his heart. In the meantime, the rest of the people get to meet the risen Jesus after spending some time like this painting characterizes in the same kind of disillusionment and feelings of betrayal that Thomas had. So Thomas walks into that upper room, that room, and his friends start in telling him, Hey, Thomas, it's not over. Guess what, Tommy? Jesus is alive. He's not dead. How did Thomas react? Did he say, oh, that's great. No. Remember, he's got that wall built around his heart. I'm not going to believe again. You think I'm going to get back on that, on that wagon again? You think I'm going to get back on that rug so it can be pulled out from under me again later? What, what led me to the worst pain I've ever felt is loving Jesus and believing in Him. And so, as we read earlier, Thomas basically tells his friends, the only way I'm going to believe that Jesus is anything except exceptionally dead is seeing Him won't be enough. I have to put my hands where the nails went. I have to put my hand where that Roman soldier's sword pierced his side i got to grab him and touch him. And if I don't get that, you can forget it. I'm never believing that Jesus is alive. Why? To protect myself from being hurt again. I'm so glad Thomas's story doesn't end there. Because we learn so much from what Jesus does next. One thing I'll give Thomas credit. There's something in him that won't let him leave. He stays there for over a week. For eight days, he stays with his friends who continue to claim they saw Jesus alive. And he apparently refuses to believe for eight solid days. And they're together and suddenly Jesus shows back up. He's just there. The doors are locked. They're hiding from the authorities. And Jesus is just there, and he apparently knows what Thomas has been saying. 
So before Thomas can say anything, Jesus looks at Thomas and says, Tommy, put your finger right here where the nails are. Go ahead, just put your hand right on in the side. Get a good, get a good feel. And somehow Jesus has this, has a body. It's, it wasn't just the love of Jesus that rose from the dead. It was a physical body. It must not be like my body because he didn't have to open the door to enter the room. But he's real. And he's tangible. And so Jesus tells Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And he does. That's what it took to get Thomas back on the Jesus rug. Back on the Jesus wagon. Physical proof. And you know, had you or I been one of Jesus' followers, it might have taken that for us too. I don't blame the guy. That had to be the best day of Thomas's life. Because suddenly some things had to start falling in place that had been confusing him for about three or for, excuse me, for a week and three days. Suddenly. Thomas had to come to the understanding, oh, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't going to just be an earthly king. The first thing Thomas learned is that Jesus wasn't just going to be an earthly king. See, Thomas was sold out to the idea that Jesus was the Christ. Christ is a, is a political position. It's a king. It's a king of Israel. And, and he, he understood and he believed Jesus is going to be king. I'm going to be in his administration. And that is going to be awesome. And Jesus, nobody ever looked less like a king than Jesus did on the cross. Thomas's mistake is he was following Jesus for the wrong reason. He wanted Jesus to give him a great job in a great kingdom. And when Jesus dies and then rises again, Pieces begin to fall into place. Jesus didn't just die. To, Jesus didn't live to be a political king. He came to be a savior. He came. See, Thomas had to realize, wait a second. Jesus didn't die because all of God's plans fell apart. That's what I thought. Jesus died as all of God's plans came together. Because Jesus is going to be a king. But the Bible tells us the only people that get into his kingdom are those who are righteous. And the Bible tells us none of us are righteous. How many people, based on our own behavior, are righteous, according to the Bible? Zero. There's no one righteous, not even one. Another place, it says this. There's no one righteous, not even one. Then there's this third place in the Bible where it says this. There's no one righteous, not even one. But only the righteous get into the king's kingdom. So here's what the cross was. The Bible says our sin went on him. He became our sin and received all of the punishment. The cross was not Jesus being too weak to defend himself. The cross was the wrath of God falling on the only person who never deserved God's wrath. And it's like the cup of God's wrath wrath got emptied out on Jesus. 
And then God promises the way we get righteousness is not through our behavior. The way we get righteousness is simply believing what Jesus did on the cross was God's plan for our salvation. And we believe that because our sin went on Him, His righteousness goes on us. And Thomas begins to understand these things. He begins to understand Jesus didn't die because of His weakness. Jesus died because of my weakness. Jesus didn't die because He had done something wrong. Jesus died because of all the things I have done wrong. And that's why Thomas said to Jesus what he said. He called him my my Lord, or my boss, my master, and my God. If you can predict the future accurately, there's something a little off about you, right? Anybody who could, like, accurately consistently predict the future would have to have some kind of divine knowledge somehow. How about this? If you could predict how you would die and it came true and then you could predict that you wouldn't stay dead and that came true, that would make you the most special person that ever lived. That's Jesus. That's what convinced Thomas Jesus was God. A minute ago, what made the Jews, the Jewish leaders, pick up rocks to stone Jesus was he claimed to be God. The resurrection proved that to Thomas. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus said one more thing in that conversation with, with Thomas. He talked about someone. You know who Jesus talked about with Thomas? You. You know that? He did. Jesus, right after he said what he said on the screen here, he takes, basically takes Thomas's hand and shoves it in him side. Get a good feel right there, Thomas, so you can believe. And he says, now you, I've made you believe because you've seen and you've felt and you've touched. And then Jesus said this, blessed are those that have not seen yet believed. It's the last beatitude in the Gospels. You know the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who are mourned, blessed are those who, here's the last one, the real blessed people are those who believe in Jesus without having seen Him. You see, Jesus knew your situation would be better, would be different than Thomas's. You didn't go through all the pain of watching the cross, but you also would not see Jesus in person. How many of you have ever, have ever thought something like this? If God would just do something super miraculous, then I guess I would believe in Him. Jesus told Thomas it's not going to work that way. Jesus told Thomas the real blessed people are those who come to believe in Me without having seen Me. And for about the last 2,000 years, the apostle, the disciple, Thomas, has been in heaven with the Lord. And for about 2,000 years, you know what he's been seeing happen? Jesus keep that promise over and over and over and over and over. As Jesus welcomes in more people who never got to see Him, but came to faith in Him, and when they come to die, they find their sins have been forgiven, and they enter heaven with Jesus. And so they are blessed beyond anything they could ever imagine. 
Because even though they didn't see Jesus, they believed. I don't know where you stand with Jesus this morning. Easter Sunday, 2019. But the story of Thomas teaches us a few things. One, Jesus wasn't just a first century Jewish carpenter who was a good teacher and did miracles. He was a savior who died under the weight of sin, your sin. Another thing that this teaches us so well is that Jesus will reach out toward people who have offended him and failed to believe or even promised they wouldn't believe. Don't miss this about Thomas. Thomas didn't just doubt. Thomas sort of made a vow to his friends. I'm not going to believe in Jesus. Did he think Jesus was going to show back up and let him put his fingers there and his hand here? No. He said, I'm not going to believe again. You might be sitting here this morning having said something just like that. I'm never going to go in for that religious mumbo-jumbo. I'm not going to be all Bible-fied and Jesus-fied and all that stuff. That's not for me. You may have said that. Listen, Jesus still reaches out to people who have made rash vows about him. He comes back for those who have said, they, I will never believe that stuff. Maybe you've been hurt in church. Maybe you've been hurt by a Christian. Jesus comes for those, even those who have promised they won't believe. When to us, he says, I will bless you if you believe without seeing me. If we went around the room and I asked you how you would want to be blessed today, if God could do anything for you, what would you ask? We'd get 200 different answers. But as God, Jesus knows the best blessing. He promised He would bless anyone, anyone who would come to believe in what Jesus did at the cross. He did for them. That He rose again to prove it was true. So where are you at with Jesus today? I want to invite you to make a decision to believe and follow Jesus. Maybe this morning He is coming. You are the one He is coming for and asking, will you believe without seeing? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Pray with me this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for the sacrifice of Christ. Thank You for the example of Thomas. Thank You for showing us that You come back for those of us who have been hurt, who struggle to believe, who doubt, who vow to never believe in stuff like this. Thank You for the apostles who were willing to die for saying that they saw the risen Jesus and they never wavered. God, I pray for, um, for people here, those of us here who maybe have never decided to believe and follow Jesus. But this morning, I might just tell you, either as we sing this last song or right now in prayer, that they would just tell you, I believe that you died for me, that you can forgive my sin, that you rose again from the dead. 
And thank you that when we believe, we become one of those who hear your voice and that no one can snatch us out of your hand and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. I love you, Lord. I thank you for dying for me and for all of us who believed on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.